0: I'm Eleanor Benjamin, and I'm from Richmond, Indiana. I'm 23 years old. My mother moved me to Florida when I was five. She was a single mom of three, so it wasn't always easy. She did struggle with drug abuse, so that was another thing that wasn't always easy as a child. Church was not always a part of growing up. I also had a lot of pain, like, from growing up, not having my dad, not having a relationship with my mom. I had a lot of doubt, and I think a lot of it was uh, me just not really understanding what Christianity was. When I found out I was pregnant, I was scared. At the time, I didn't have a job. I was living with my boyfriend's parents. It wasn't a very good relationship. I would just get really overwhelmed. I started thinking more about the future. Like, I didn't want her to grow up like I grew up. But I knew that I had to start making changes. I met Zach. We were both working at Dunkin' Donuts. We had been working there actually two years together. Never really even talked. I don't remember how the conversation started, but he said he will pray for me and that I should pray too because it helps. It helps. He invited me to go to Life, And at first I was like, no, I don't, next week or whatever. And he was like, no, why not tomorrow? So I was like, okay, I'll go tomorrow. Just listening to the sermons and things started to kind of fall in place. We don't have to be perfect. We could be like dirt on the floor and not doing the best things and doing everything wrong, but Jesus still he's still there. He still loves us for who we are, no matter what. I was really nervous. It wasn't like a bad nervous. It was a great nervous. means I could told him that I was ready to accept Jesus, and he looked really happy. He takes my hand, and we start praying together. I felt a weight lifted off of my shoulders. When I first prayed, when I actually talked to God. Like, I, I talked out loud, and, you know, I talked to him as if he was sitting right next to me. I was talking to him about, like, everything that was going on. I talked to him about how I was sorry for not being there. After I was done praying, I felt really happy, like, the happiest I had ever felt. In my life and after like everything in my past like it felt like it just washed away We started meeting once a week. She would sit down with me and we would read passages from the Bible. She would guide me through it to help me understand. It was very helpful. I look forward to being discipled more, growing in my faith, and building a stronger relationship with God.
1: earlier this year that we put a rose on this table. And that was Eleanor's rose. It was the rose that signified her says, we don't, we don't get to hear all the stories from all the roses. Wouldn't that be great if we could? Uh, but that's what happened in the life of this young lady. Uh, it's what happens when when uh, those who know Jesus say something and just talk about what's happening in their life with Jesus and and simply invite and ask and and do life with someone to where they can make a decision for Jesus too. If I haven't been clear in my time with you as your pastor for the last 12 years, that's the win. What you just saw is the win. That's what we're going for. Everything else that we do kind of funnels into and contributes towards that win. Like you growing up in your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you, be, you become the fourth member of the Trinity. I pray everybody in here grows to the extent that you are holy as God is holy. But I will tell you that that holiness is not meant to terminate with you. It's not meant to just stay here. It's meant to make a difference in the world that doesn't know Jesus. That all of our efforts to become uh, more like Christ are meant to uh, contribute to his mission so that more people can know Christ, right? Uh, If we sit here this morning because we have faith in Jesus Christ, it's because, uh, like we've talked about over the last couple weeks, someone else told us about him. And so we spent that first week of this series on neighbors, talking about telling our neighbors. I, you guys wrote down names on cards just like I did, and we threw them in a fish tank. And we're praying for those people to come to know Jesus Christ. I, I trust that God's going to give you opportunities, uh, like Zach had with Eleanor, to talk about Jesus and, uh, and to see these, some of these people come to know and follow him. Last week we talked about the grease uh, that goes on the rails of this whole telling others about Jesus uh, thing. It's, it's this loving our neighbors we can't love our neighbors, they're not going to listen to us about our Savior. So love and telling go together. And uh, I pray that you're using your time in life with your neighbors to, to love on them, to show them Jesus and how you live and how you act and the things that you do to serve them. But the last part of the video kind of shows you where I want to go today as we talk about leading our neighbors in life. Uh, eleanor have uh, been sitting down with Zach's mom for the last few months, and, and she's been growing in her faith. Uh, and that—that's—that's that's truly what we're going for. When I say that the win is that, it's not just a decision made; it's disciple made. It's not just someone converting in their faith; it's someone becoming like Christ. That's what we're going for—disciples, not just decisions. I think sometimes we can, uh, you know, do a little bit and think like they're done. Like my kids when they clean the kitchen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, one glass in the dishwasher is not a kitchen clean, right? Um, you know, I love my kids, and, and we are all we all suffer from this, this whole uh, stopping too soon and a win. I, I remember teaching them to play baseball. We took them to T-ball. Anybody have your kids play T-ball? T-ball is this just very slightly like baseball game because um, there's no pitcher, right? It's not very sporting at all. They have a big stick, and they put a ball on it, and... We tell three and four year olds to hit it right. And uh, uh, remember the first time your kid hit a t ball? Or were, were you ever been to a t ball game where a kid hits the the ball for the first time? Right? They jump up and down like mission accomplished, <laughs> right? Because they've missed it. It Hit the stick. I hit swung over it. My my son Cooper swung once so hard he corkscrewed himself into the ground. Just kept the bat was heavier than him, and it just kept going around. Right? Well, I, I remember the first time Coop hit the ball. He just stood at the in the batter's box, you know, arms raised, pumping fist. Yeah, I did it, right? And what's every parent in the field yelling at this kid? Run. <laughs> Apparently I hadn't explained to him that if you ever do hit the ball on the stick, you've got to run to first base. Anybody been to the game where the kid ran to third base? <laughs> Love that game. Because they're so focused on hitting the ball on the stick that they, they don't know the next part. So they just start running towards anything that looks like a base. One of the games my daughter was playing, and she got the first base, we have video of it. She ran, and she jumped, and she just stood on top of the base, you know, all 20 pounds of her on top of this base, like. Because she's like, okay, then this must be it. Hit the ball and make it to here. I did it. But then the next kid gets up, and he hits the ball. And what, what do I yell at her then as the first base coach? Run! And she's like, run again? Where do I go this time? And I'm like, it's over there. Run to that one. Okay, this is a stupid game. I don't know why. And in t-ball, it's hard to get out, so another kid hits it, and she goes from that base to that base. And then finally, finally, she runs where? Home. That is how you win. It's not hitting the ball. It's making it home. And that's how we win when it comes to people and their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just them making a decision. It's them growing in that faith and then growing some more in that faith and then growing some more in that faith. And then finally, as that process that we call sanctification takes place, we all make it home. And that's our glorification in Jesus Christ. But Between hitting the ball, salvation, there's a whole lot of basis to be run in this life with Christ. Paul quantifies this for his buddy Timothy in his letter to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says this in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's this uh, grand pyramid scheme of discipleship that Paul lays out for Tim. He's like, hey, Tim, I found you. You came to faith because of your mom and your grandmother. And 1 Timothy tells us that story. But you, you kind of linked arms with me. And you started hanging out with me. And I, I taught you what I'm learning. I showed you what I'm you know, experiencing as, as far as being a leader and all the things that you needed to learn so that you could become who you've become. Timothy, as he's getting this letter, is the pastor of a church in a place called Ephesus. And he says to Tim, he says, hey, listen, Tim, don't let it stop with you. You find the people in your church that you can train and you can teach and you can disciple so that they can go on and they can train and they can teach and they can disciple and they can go on and they can train and train. Here we are, 2016. And that's how it's worked. So as a church, may we always remember that we're not here to make just decisions. Those are great. We'll celebrate them. I'll pop roses up here left and right as God gives us the grace to do so we're here about making disciples to see more and more people join us in this mission to see people follow Jesus Christ. Now, one of the ways we quantified it, I put the website at the end of that video, and I want to thank everybody involved in doing our media around here. They do a great job. But uh, that website that we have, this is baylife.org slash disciple. Um, You go on there and you can actually get involved in a a formalized discipleship process here at a church. You saw... Uh, Eleanor in the vid video kind of scrolling through a, a, an app on her phone. We actually we made an app that will help people disciple other people. And if you want to be trained in that, there's a training coming up in October. You can be a part of that and learn about that at our discipleship table outside today. Uh, you can you can get formalized, um, uh, systematized materials that are going to help you train somebody like I'm teaching you today. You, you can either use it with someone you already know and and, and see God kind of enter into that relationship in a discipleship manner or you you, you can sign up to be linked with someone here in this room uh, that needs to be discipled and by the way if that's you if you're kind of one of these people who has made a decision for Jesus Christ but things haven't really gone anywhere since maybe it's time to link up with someone and be discipled be challenged in this faith and go around those bases and figure some stuff out now this website will kind of take you to the those two options get discipled or be a discipler And you can be a part of the the machine that we trust God is going to build around here to disciple folks through our church. But on that same webpage is kind of this definition of discipleship. It's not the only one. Maybe not even the best one, but it's an easier to remember one. Discipleship is basically this. just so that we can kind of, you know, tone down maybe the scariness of it. It's just time plus your life plus the truth through the scriptures. That's all you're doing. If you ever disciple someone, matter of fact, some of you have been disciple people for a long time and didn't even know it. Because they're in your family. And unfortunately, you got to spend all your time together. Or maybe fortunately, I don't know. Maybe depending on the day. But you got lots of time. You live under the same roof. you got lots of life. You're sharing one. And if you're talking about Jesus in any way, to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents, then you're kind of in a discipleship relationship just by the sheer fact that you're a Christian family. Isn't that cool? But God wants to take that same kind of environment and create it in other places in your life with the friends that you have at school or the people that you go to work with or maybe even the folks that are in your life group don't assume that just because people are at a church and they go to a life group that they're really following Jesus Christ I mean I think they're moving in a good direction but there's tons of us out here who could grow tons of us all of us out here can grow in our faith in Jesus Christ and we need people to be there to help us do that This whole life thing is is probably the most important part. Having time to invest your life in somebody so they can know the truths of Scripture and follow Jesus in them. Uh, There's lots of Christians who are uh, ready with resources. Uh, I know a great book you could read. Books are great. I'm not poo-pooing them. I know a great church you could go to. Uh, There's some videos online you should watch, right? What a, a, a new follower or at least, even let me expand this, because some of you might not know a lot of new Christians. How about the followers who used to follow and don't anymore? Know some of them? you looking up and down the roads. They maybe used to sit with you, but they're not here anymore. Maybe God wants you to use you uh, in, in the lives of a flailing follower. Someone who's kind of gotten uh, knocked down by life, and, and God's not where he's supposed to be in, in their hearts currently. Whoever it is, a new follower, a flailing follower. God wants you to use them in your lives, and He wants us to go beyond just you know prescriptions and and uh and hey, this would be a good idea and and you know uh, some little sermonettes that we do from time to time. He wants us to be engaged in our life here 's what I mean when I was a young husband, one night I went down to the basement of the house that Eleanor and I owned, and I ripped it up i 've told you this story before, but I just got a crowbar and a and, and a and a hammer, and I just started taking all the walls down and uh uh, exposing everything, just just tore up my basement that had been kind of divided into a little apartment by the earlier owners because uh, we were going to make it a big family room and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, demo, I can do demo, right? If if you've got a big enough sledgehammer, you can do any kind of demo. And uh, so I just, I tore this thing apart, exposed all the copper pipes that were put in it at the turn of the century and, and the t- uh, knob and tube wiring and everything that was bad about this thing. It was all just laying out there uh, in the basement. About a month later, we heard, uh, that we were going to be moving from God, that we were going to be moving to Dallas, Texas. Uh, so my, my project that I was going to slowly do over time, uh, needed to happen instantly so that I could sell this house. Apparently, you know, uh, a wasteland of a basement is not a selling point. Uh, so I called, I called a, a guy named John. He was flipping houses even before it was on HGTV every hour. And, uh, uh, John came over and he says yeah we can fix this up okay Bubba he called me Bubba and uh, you know I'll, I'll tell you what Well, here's what he didn't say I'll tell you where Home Depot is so you can go learn from some classes there because I got tiling classes and plumbing classes on Saturday mornings you can go there and learn about those things and then here's a couple books because the internet hadn't been invented yet Al Gore was still working on it but uh, uh, here's some books <laughs> I was strangely political I'm not a political guy but I don't have a filter in my mind, and it's the last <laughs> service. Here's some books you can read. And uh, he, he didn't do that, and, he's, and, he, and he certainly didn't do this. Here's some of my tools. He didn't just drop off his tools. He said, no, listen, I work at Caterpillar. I'm on the lines making tractors, but I'll, I'll take the days that I'm not on shift, and I'll come over if you're available on those days, and we'll knock this out together. I won't do it for you, but I'll do it with you. And that's how it happened. He and other men in our church came over from, diff- from time to time during those next three or four weeks, and they showed me how to uh, put up drywall and mud and sand and, and do plumbing and wiring. I mean, I learned all this stuff. Not You, you know my stories not well, <laughs> but uh, if you haven't been here, I'm not very handy. Uh, but I, I, with someone over my shoulder, I'm a pro, right, because they can be there to make sure I'm not making the mistakes. So. Well, except for this one time, John, John thought I was getting pretty good at plumbing, and so he says, you know what, Bubba, you can do the uh, toilet yourself. We'd done the sinks in this one bathroom we were making. And, uh, and he says, you can do the toilet. And so uh, that night I went downstairs and I did all the plumbing on the toilet. And he came back the next time he came back. And he says, well, let's see how that thing's working. And uh, so he flushed the toilet and it worked fine. The water came in, uh, except he looked up and he says, Bubba, that's a little shady. That's how he would nicely say you did it wrong. He says, it's a little shady. And I says, why? And he says, feel the bowl. And I felt the bowl and it was hot. I'd hook my, uh, my, my toilet up to the hot water. And so I didn't miss a beat because, you know, (laughs) I wanted to make it look like it was on purpose. So I was like, well, it's down here in the basement and winters get cold in Illinois. And I wanted to have a, (laughs) I wanted to have a nice, you know, warm seat when I sat down. I'm just, I'm thinking ahead. This is going to be a selling feature (laughs) in my house. He says, "Ah, that's pretty funny, but we're going to do it right. And then he stood behind me as I, cut all the lines that I'd worked a couple hours on night before putting together, and we did it right. And, and, and that's discipleship, people. It's not, it's not dropping people off at a church. It's not pointing to some videos online. It's not just giving them a Bible, their tool belt. It's about giving them your life, giving them your time, standing over them as they fall forward in this faith in Jesus Christ. When they make mistakes, you don't give up on them. You stand with them as they work with God's grace to figure those things out. So I want us to be a church not just full of decision makers or decision producers, but a a church full of disciple makers by the grace of God. With the time left, I just want to talk to you about that. As we move forward in the book of Acts, we're going to be there today. The book of Acts Uh, chapter 9, we're going to learn the story of a couple guys named Saul and Ananias. You've probably heard of Saul. He becomes the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the back of your New Testaments and uh, is a a giant of the faith, truly, if there are giants. He's one of them. Uh, But he had inauspicious beginnings. Uh, He was a persecutor of the early church. Uh, If you read through the story of Acts, uh, the early uh, followers of Christ have an incredible run, just as Jesus' is. Is ascending into heaven, and, and he leaves them to start the church. Uh, they're just uh, seeing people come to Christ left and right. Thousands in Jerusalem uh, are becoming Christians, but then uh, the persecution begins. Uh, in chapter 8 of, of uh, the book of Acts, this guy Stephen becomes the first martyr, the first to die for his faith, and uh, this guy Saul actually stands there and holds the, coat, the coats of the guys uh, who are the, uh, well, the, the executors, the stone throwers the death of Stephen. Uh, his story, we don't know a whole lot of his background except that he was uh, uh, given the power by the Jewish faith, the Jewish leaders of, of the Jewish faith to go around and persecute any Jews who would uh, convert to Christianity. And that's what he did. He was on his way to Damascus at the beginning of chapter 9 to actually go and do that. And that's when he meets Jesus. Many are familiar with the story, but a, a bright light shines and and God uh, through the, the sun actually speaks uh, to to Saul there on the road, and Saul has what we would call a conversion experience. He's blinded, uh, the Bible tells us, and he's led into town by these men who were his partners in persecution. They didn't know what to do with him now. He was he was now part of the team that they were going to go and persecute uh, there in Damascus, and so he just drops him off at this house on a place called the Street of Straight, and uh, and that's where Paul finds himself until we read about this guy Ananias who will become a leader in the life of this great man, Paul, or Saul, at the time of their meeting. And these are the things that we learn from his life. Look at what it says. Uh, the first thing that we learn is that our neighbors uh, are leading our neighbors to Jesus can be a surprising thing. There's lots of surprises, lots of things that we wouldn't anticipate happening <clears throat> when it comes to us getting involved in leading our neighbors to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It says there was a disciple, a that starts out well. At Damascus, his name was Ananias, and the Lord says to him in a vision, Ananias, yo, Ananias. It's in the Greek. And uh, and Ananias appropriately says, here am I, Lord. By the way, that's uh, the appropriate answer to the Holy Spirit when he prompts you. All right? When God says, uh, hey, I need you, it's not like, <coughs> you know, like some petulant teenager that you asked to mow the lawn or something. Uh, It's like, no, here I am, Lord. Yeah, okay. I'm in. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but here I am. He goes on and it says this, verse 11, "Uh, the Lord says to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. Still there in Damascus, it's called a different name that I can't pronounce because it's a different language, but uh, it's still the east-west corridor through Damascus. Uh, Back in those days, it was lined with these colonnades and uh, big buildings and had gates on either end, but Paul had apparently had found his, a place to a, or found his way to a house of a guy named Judas, a, a Jew. We don't know if he was a Christian or a Jewish guy that Paul was meeting there so he could go persecute Jews. Doesn't matter. He's hanging out at this house. And uh, God says this to Ananias, look for a guy of Tarsus named Saul. Uh, Saul was pretty famous. We're going to see that in the next verse. Uh, Ananias knows about Saul. And so immediately, maybe he's just kind of following along with God as God's given this message. But when he hears the name of Saul of Tarsus, he's like, "Whoop! hang on. You want me to go see who? Go see Saul. And God continues, perhaps over Ananias' objections, but God continues. He says, for behold, anytime you see behold in the scriptures, like you see it a lot around the time of Christmas, for behold, I bring you great news, or good news or great joy. Um, Behold is this Greek word that basically means surprise. You're not going to believe it. Hang on to your hats. Some crazy stuff's going down. Anytime you read behold, that's what it means. He says, for behold, Saul is praying. This is uh, God's way of telling Ananias, Saul switched teams. Saul's on our side. He's hanging out in this house and he's praying. What's he praying for? You ever thought about that as you're reading the Bible? What are these guys praying for? I think Paul's probably praying for forgiveness. Saul, Saul, I keep switching those names, but Saul, uh, who will be someday, Paul, is probably sitting there thinking like, oh, I had this all wrong. All those men and women that I persecuted, those men and women that I sent to their deaths, they had it right. I was wrong. And he's probably lamenting his mistakes. Ever been there in your prayers? Yeah, Paul was doing that. You know what else he was probably praying for? His eyesight. Can't see. I don't know if this is a permanent thing, Lord, but if if you could work this out, it'd be great, especially in the time that I live in, to have my eyes back. He's probably praying for direction. Things had changed recently. He had been going to do this in Damascus, and now he's not. He's got some career choices to make. Praying all those things, probably, right? Ananias uh, continues to hear from the Lord. It says, He has seen in a vision a man named who? God says he's expecting you. You're going to be the agent of his change, or one of the agents of his change. He's expecting you to come in and lay your hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Here's what God says. Paul wants to see again, and the way I'm going to make that happen is through you, bro. you got to go to the house he's at on the street, straight, straight, street, Yeah, that one. And you need to put your hands on the guy. That's how I'm going to heal him. A couple surprises here. First of all, Ananias' surprise was that Saul was on the on his team now. And can I just encourage everybody out there who's praying for someone who seems like a lost cause? Saul was worse. All right, Whoever you're thinking, that, that friend or, or that foe huh, who uh, you are so certain could never be touched by the grace of God, everybody look at me and hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say, there is no sin that a man can do that the grace of God cannot forgive. There's no depth or distance that a man can go from God that God can't bridge and return him to himself. You're probably sitting in rows of people, who are living testimonies to that fact. Yeah, sure, some of us grew up in the church and we never really did anything bad, and we're here. And it's, isn't that a great testimony that God has given us that grace and that blessing? But there are some people in here that, if you only knew, woo hoo, you might switch seats, yo. Right? And I'm not making listen. I'm not making light of people's past. I'm just saying there are some reclamation projects in this house. There are some people who were like particularly hot messes. And by the grace of God, they've been changed forever. The guy standing on the stage is one of them. I went back to my 10-year high school reunion. I got most changed. Now, certainly, my appearance was a little different. I wasn't quite as big as I am now, but I was bigger than I was in high school. And, oh, listen, most of us are, right? Uh, so there was other people who had more dramatic physical uh, changes, uh, the reason I won, though, is because I came back to my high school uh, ten years later as the pastor of high school students in a church in Dallas, Texas. Uh, most of my friends in high school just couldn't get their head around that. Uh, I'd been the kid in high school, kind of like organized the kegger, and and now I was the kid who was helping high school students stay away from the kegger, right? Uh, and and friends kept asking me, "You do what?" Now, say it again. You do what? They just couldn't believe it because uh, every one of us is a hot mess apart from the grace of God, and the grace of God can change any one of us because it's just that amazing, right? First surprise, Ananias uh, was surprised by Saul being on his team. Second surprise, Ananias was surprised by the fact that God was sending him to Saul. Me? Me? i got to guess that sometimes I preach messages in in here and that's how you feel. Because I'm saying, hey, God wants us to do this. And you're like, me? Mark, I'm just barely doing this disciple thing myself. I mean, I I don't have anything to give to someone else who's trying to follow Jesus. I'm in high school. What do I know? Or I'm in, you know, uh, I'm brand new to the faith. Or what do I, whatever. Not that high schoolers don't know everything. You know, Prince, I know you know things. My point is this. We can kind of have this low self spiritual self-esteem. We can think, I, I can't do that. And everybody, look at me one more time. Everybody look at me. You're right. You can't do what God's calling you to do. But guess what? Read your Bibles. God's in the business of finding people who can't do and making them able. Guys like Moses, a guy who's on the lamb as he's watching lambs. Uh, he is... Uh, the least likely character to be the leader of the children of Israel out of Egypt. But God's like, you're perfect. You got a stutter? Awesome. Even better. He goes to Gideon, the one who puts the Bibles in the hotels. <laughs> and he goes, to, he goes to Gideon and he finds Gideon threshing uh, wheat in a hole in the ground in the book of Judges. And he's saying, hey, Gideon, I need you to lead an army. Gideon is not at West Point. He's cowering, uh, hiding, trying to just get some grain together for his family to have some bread. But he's doing it out of the way so that the, the marauders who are invading this particular uh, period of the history of Israel uh, don't see him and don't take his bread from him. He's, he's, a, he's the chicken of chickens from the least of the clans of Israel. And God looks at Gideon and he says, mm. love that guy. I can work with him. And so why would we be surprised that God would look at you and me and say, now that, that's something I can work with. He's in the business of taking we who are unable and making us able. It brings him more glory when he uses people as unlikely as us. Some scholars have thought that maybe Ananias was the leader of the church uh, there in Damascus as an early follower of Jesus there. I think he was just some dude. I think he was probably like you, you know, right back there, just kind of hanging out. You don't want to get too close, right? But you come into church and you just kind of sit there and you're thinking, you know, I'll just kind of get my church on and then I'll go. And God comes to Ananias and he says, I need you to be in the story of one of the greatest leaders of the faith that will ever live. Ananias was surprised might be like you and I are. Let's read the rest of the story. He was not only surprised, he was scared. Leading our neighbors to Jesus can be kind of scary. And uh, Ananias answers uh, the Father or God as he comes to me. He says, Lord, uh, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Uh, And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name, namely me. If I go see him, he's just going to put me in the cuffs, man. Are you sure this is what you want me to do? Anybody ever had that conversation with God? Are you sure that this is the best idea? Yeah, he was scared. Uh, I'll I'll tell you that your pastor gets scared sometimes to have spiritual conversations with people. Uh, I get scared of... um, how it's going to change our relationship. Uh, but I don't just get scared. Sometimes I, I, I wrestle with other excuses, like I'm too busy. Have you ever had that one? I'm too busy to get involved with this. It's going to, you know, time, I don't have time. So you can't have my life and I can't, so I don't have time. Or, or uh, you know, that, that one we were talking about earlier, I don't I don't have enough knowledge. It's another excuse that people give. I'm scared. I'm out of time. I'm, I don't have enough knowledge. I, can't be involved in these things these are all the things i'm sure ananias is feeling i'm inadequate but god wants to uh, wants to use him in this story he wants to use us and if we'll only get past those fears and be used of him so that uh uh, uh, people can know him better and follow him better in these new lives or these flailing lives that they have with christ then then he'll use us if we'll just trust him to do that and let me kind of you know, break down this discipleship thing I'm challenging you to. A lot of times, it's not like you got to get up and like, you know, teach a lesson. You know, open in your Bibles to whatever chapter and here's exactly what this means. And I mean, it's great if you can do that, but it's not, a lot of times, it's just telling people to do what they already know to do. Have you ever noticed that the Christian life, it's not self-evident, the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, but like morality and doing good things and choosing right things, people know generally, the better ways to live. Like if you've got a Christian friend who's having a hard time in his relationship with his spouse, uh, he probably or she probably knows the things that she or he needs to do in, in making those things better. So it's not like you got to teach them those things. you just got to be the one who kind of goes, <laughs> and helps them go and do those things. We call it accountability. The discipleship isn't all academic. Most of it's just being accountable, having someone be your reminder that the things that they need to do are the things that they need to do. I started working out four weeks ago, and part of the success in my uh, having done that the way I've wanted to do it on all four of those weeks is enlisting my son, Cooper. Cooper is my mm mm-mm guy. Uh, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to wake up, run to the gym, work out, and come home. It's not something he's got to teach me. Don't have to go to the gym and show me how to bench press. He's just got to make sure I go and do it. And he's really great at it. You give your kid power over you, they will take it. So I told him, I said, Scoop, you're my say so in this. You're my reminder in this. And he's done it. You know, I'm about to take something and put it in my mouth that I shouldn't be eating, and he sees me doing it. Takes it right out of my hand. And because he's my kid, I can't hit him. (laughs) I will punch one of you if you take a donut from me. (laughs) No. You know what? He wakes up in the morning. He's he's, he's just this anomaly. At 20 years old, he wakes up at like 5, o'clock every morning. And he's he's just a disciplined guy. I don't know how it happened in our family. Uh, He didn't get it from me. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, But that's who he is. And one morning, who's ever done this? You ever set your alarm clock for p.m. instead of a.m.? I, honestly, I don't mean to do it, but I do it a lot. I don't know what happens when I'm messing with my uh, iPad that uses my uh, my my uh, alarm, but I do it all the time. And uh, so I was set for another 12 hours of sleep one morning uh, when I was supposed to get up and go work out with Coop until uh, I felt this mm in the side of my ribs as I'm laying in my bed. And it was my son Cooper in his workout attire standing over me with his arms folded. And I wake up, what, what, what? He's like, you're working out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, and I got out of bed. <laughs> and that's, that, listen, the, the, Bi- the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that we're supposed to uh, spur each other on towards love and good deeds, right? That, that, that we're kind of each other's pitchforks. Now, I'm not giving everybody in here the, uh, the, the license to go and be annoying as a Christian, has anybody met that Christian where everything is an op- op- opportunity to pontificate? You know, they see you doing something and they, well, this is what happened. You're hurting the cause, all right? You're, you're probably pompous and prideful and you're not saying to help. You're saying to elevate your own self. Is everybody with me on this? It, it's a real thin line. So you don't want to be preachy, but you do want to be pitchy. You want to make sure that you're, you're, you're uh, in love and in gentleness, invoking someone towards love and good deeds and following Jesus the way they're supposed to. Finally, leading our neighbors to Jesus will always be world-changing. Leading our neighbors to Jesus will always be world-changing. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. So Ananias gives his objections, but God says, no, man, I'm pretty sure I want you to go. Go, for he is a chosen instrument. Pa- this guy, Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Just so you know, you read the rest of the book of Acts. It's exactly what Saul does when he becomes Paul. He is the champion of the Gentiles, and he he's the reason that you and I are sitting in church right now, because it made it outside of the Jewish faith, this whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he'll be uh, 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 a purveyor of my name to the Gentiles. To kings, uh, Saul will become Paul, and Paul will testify before the the leaders of the Roman empire uh, to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And he'll be also a a, a witness to the children of Israel. It goes on and it says in verse 16, uh, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so verse 17 says this. So Ananias did it. He departed and he went down to the straight street and he entered the house of Judas and he laid his hands on, on Saul. and, 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 and this is what happened. Just so you know, Saul can't see him. He's blind. And so he hears the shuffling of the feet. I don't know if Ananias had tennis shoes, but he, he, he's, he's walking across the floor and then all of a sudden he feels a hand on his shoulder. Can't see him. Stops praying. And Ananias says, brother. That, that wasn't a, a, just a throwaway word or a title to give Saul. Saul had been the persecutors of the brethren. Ananias possibly knew people who had lost their lives because of this guy, Saul. But because of his uh, conviction, his being convinced in the goodness of God, uh, he extended the love of God to this killer of the saints, and he called him brother, brother Saul. He says, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you came. Referring to the experience Paul or Saul had had. And uh, he has sent me so that you may uh, regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm the answer to your prayers. And so it says in verse 18 that immediately something like scales. Luke was a doctor. He loved all the medical stuff. So uh, he likes to bring the details of what happened. We don't know what this was. Perhaps some fleshy stuff had grown over the eyes of Paul. We don't know. But something fell off and he was able to see. And he regains his sight, and he rose, and he was baptized, it says. And in verse 19, it says this. "And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. That's a really interesting line. It doesn't say that Saul got up immediately and went preaching. It says that he hung out in Damascus. And who did he hang out with? The other disciples. Why? Because he didn't know what he was talking about yet. And he needed someone to help him so that he could grow and he could become the champion of the faith that he would become. The last service didn't get this, but I'm going to share it with you real quick. Can we go to the end of the book of Acts together? Saul so standing before this guy at He's now Paul. It's towards the end of his life. He's done all of the things that we read about in awe through the book of Acts. All the churches planted, everything uh, that, that, that has happened in the early church age through Paul. It's taken place, and now he's on his way to Rome to be tried for his faith. And in one of his subtrials, he's standing before this guy, Agrippa, Agrippa and he says to uh, Agrippa, here's my story. And in his story, guess who, guess who gets a mention? His buddy, Ananias. He says, and this guy, Ananias, he was a devout man according to the law. He was well spoken of by the Jews who lived there. Uh, it goes on. It says, he came to me and he, he stood by me and he said to me, isn't this interesting? That when he's telling the story, what's he say? He called me brother. Ananias called me brother Saul. And he said, Receive my sight, and at that very hour I received my sight, and I saw him. And then verse 14 it says, I, he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know as well, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, and for you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And then Paul goes on with the rest of his story. But he says, Hey man, you're wondering how I got here? Ananias. God used Ananias to move me forward to the point where I'm standing before you, testifying uh, of the goodness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, every great leader, patriarch, preacher, teacher, uh, in the entire church history had some ananiasis. Billy Graham had some ananiasis. Somebody helped Billy Graham figure out his faith in Jesus Christ to where he could be used like that. You pick a hero in the Christian faith. There was someone in their downline who responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and fed and poured and and gave their lives so that uh, the great ones could become great. And so do I believe that when we get involved in discipleship, worlds change? Absolutely. Maybe not the whole world like it did through the Apostle Paul, but the world that the person that we're being led to, uh, that's going to change forever because of what God's going to do through us. So we're going to close in prayer. We're going to do a little bit different today. You're going to pray with me. I'm actually going to ask you to pray a prayer of thanks and a prayer of of challenge or a prayer of commitment. And the first prayer is a prayer of thanks. I want you to think in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, who in your life has been your Ananias? Maybe there were several of them. Maybe you grew up with with Christian parents who, who taught you about the Bible even when you and they were weird or that they they poured into you. And maybe they're one of your Ananiases. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you're sitting next to them. Uh, But there's, in your downline as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's people that God brought along so that you could grow in your faith. We want to be thankful for them today. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If that's you, if you you don't want to do this, it's fine. Just sit quietly while the rest of us pray. But I want to lead you in a prayer of thanks for those people. I want you to name them by name. When I say, God, I want you to thank you, I want to thank you for, I want you to say that person's name out loud. And I want you to thank God for the people that were your Ananias. you ready? It's going to go like this. Just repeat after me, bow your heads, close your eyes, say this prayer. Uh, Dear God, thank you so much for giving me new life with you. Thank you for the people who helped me make my decision. Thank you for the people who you used to make me the disciple I am. I want to thank you specifically for, and then put that name in there. Bless them today. And thank you for giving them to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one last thing. In your life, there are new Christians or flailing Christians. desperately need an Ananias moms and dad it could be your own kids don't take the discipleship of your children for granted engage with them talk with them about their faith in Jesus it's something I'm constantly being challenged with in my own life with my kids I'm going to see my son Ben this this week up in Jacksonville I got to buy him a bed he's been sleeping on an air mattress in his apartment for most of the last year I'm going to have time with Ben, and I want to talk to him about his faith, because I want to be my son's Ananias, if God will allow. It could be your kids if your parents, it could be your parents if your kids, it could be a friend of coworker. There's someone in your life that needs an Ananias, and maybe you've just been taken for granted that they're getting all that they need spiritually from somewhere else, but perhaps the Holy Spirit will come to you like He did to Ananias, and He'll say, "Hey, can you go to this guy? Can you go to this lady?" Can you just be there to nudge them along in their faith? Think about who that is and then we're going to pray a prayer of commitment that we would be used in their lives. If you've got someone that you're thinking of and would like to bow your head and pray with me on this one, let's pray. You ready? Say this with me. Dear God, I want to be used by you to make a difference in someone's life. I sense you leading me be an Ananias to and whoever that person is. Give me the courage. Give me the words. And carve me the time so that I can be an Ananias to this person. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now will you all stand and we'll be dismissed by this last prayer bow your heads everybody and pray with me God I stand before this throng of folks every one of them in here created by you and for you there's probably a good chunk of people in here uh, uh, that already know you and they've been praying these prayers with me I want to pray God that you would bring these uh, prayers to fruition that you would answer these prayers with the affirmative and you would lead them who have prayed their prayers of commitment to these friends and these relationships so that they can be the disciple or the encourager the Ananias, uh, to those who need to know and follow you more fully. There's probably a bunch of us in here who need an Ananias. And if if that's us, I pray that we would take advantage of uh, being discipled here at our church. We'd stop by the discipleship table, God, and and we'd sign up to be discipled. There might be some of us in here, God, who don't even know you yet, and it's so cool that they're here. And I pray, Lord, that this is uh, another step in their journey of finding you, uh, that they would take the opportunity very soon, like Eleanor did in the video, uh, to choose you and to trust you. And Then they'd be surrounded by people who could help them live this life with you and for you. Well, Lord, we just, we want to be available to you, God, in whatever capacity you need us to tell our neighbors, to love our neighbors, and to lead our neighbors. Uh, give us that, God, by your grace so that you get the glory you deserve. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You all have a great day tomorrow. I'll be over here in the corner if you need me. But God bless you as you go make a difference in the lives of your neighbors.